Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning, folks. Don't forget this Friday, we'll have Santa for three hours, and we would love to talk to your kids. We would love to give your kids the opportunity to talk to Santa. It's one of my favorite shows. I've been getting texts every day. Folks, looking forward to Friday's show with Santa Claus. So don't forget, 10 to 1, we'll have Santa. we got a great show lined up for you today. Stephanie Turner, who's the Senior Vice President of Convention Sales and Strategies for New Orleans and Company, will talk about the 2024 Convention Outlook strategies used by New Orleans and Company and where the city has uh, positioned itself as built to host in a very competitive marketplace. And we'll talk about what's headed our way. Jeff Freeman, um, the CEO of U.S. Travel Association, will join us in the first half of that hour, and we'll talk about New Orleans being selected to host the IPW. This is a significant win for the city, state, and economy, as the event will bring thousands of international travel buyers uh, to the Ernest N. Morial Convention Center. In the 11 o'clock hour, we start out with Michael Heck, President and CEO of GNO Inc. We'll have some uh, things that we'll talk about that are going on around the metro area. And then Randolph Sambu, the new Consulate General of France, uh, is uh, here in the oldest French consulate in the United States, and the only one dedicated exclusively to a state. And we'll find out why that is when we join uh, the Consul General. Thomas Mulligan will join us in the back half of this hour, Deputy Chief Administrative Officer, Business and External Services, City of New Orleans, about the possibility and the process and the beginning of the process of the demolition of the blighted Plaza Tower. The property owner says he is going to move forward in attempting to develop that property, sell that property. Otherwise, the city seems to be on a track to figure out what their options are and what they are able to do relative to the demolition of that property. Otherwise, this would be a conflict. There would be friction, right, uh, as to what's happening here. And we'll talk about that and where this uh, is most likely to end up. A couple of days ago, I talked about a situation here in the city. And, you know, it, it seems as though every day I wake up and there's another headline of another story of another case where we um, reveal the inability to just deal with ministerial acts to get them done. Everybody else seems to be able to get them done. But for some reason, the city of New Orleans walks to the beat of a different drum and just can't do it like everyone else. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. So again, there was an article this morning. I told you last week about the situation that the city, again, missed the deadline in the filing of their tax rules, right? It's important that these deadlines are met. People are escrowing dollars with their mortgage company. The mortgage companies want to be able to send out checks to make sure that 
your property taxes are paid, your flood insurance is paid, your homeowners is, is paid, you have the escrow set up, you're pumping little uh, amounts of money every month or lots of um, money every month into that escrow. So it all relies on these deadlines, trying to get all of this straight. And it's like no big surprise that these dates come up. They happen every freaking year. I mean, it's like, what is it about this process that it's so difficult in the city, but 63 other parishes are able to file on time? Save one. You got it. The city of New Orleans. So what they're proposing to do is they filed a tax roll the other day with the Louisiana Tax Commission with blanks. And the two blanks are there's no amount of the millage for the school board and the levy district. Because they they are contemplating rolling their millage forward. Well, what financial data do they have today that they didn't have back in the summer? Everybody bases a lot of what they do on financial projections. Nobody has all of to the penny of what's going to happen. The only thing they have to the penny is to what their historical revenue was, what their historical expenses have been. Typically by this time, when you're into the uh, ninth and tenth month of the year, you have a pretty good idea as to where you're going to end up on December 31st, right? These are just common business practices, principles. Happens every day in corporate America. You're making projections. Rare is it that you'll miss when you're doing them in the tenth month. You're going to miss them by greater than 1% unless there's just this incredible phenomenon that occurs. But for whatever reason, our folks can't seem to get their head around this issue. In the case of the school board, if they collect more money, there's a possibility of a reduction in the MFP formula where they get less from the state. That's not a new phenomenon. It's not rocket science. That's there to kind of equalize all of the districts. Typically, you would end up losing. The, the real question is, is how much are you going to lose? It's kind of a bastardized formula because it really doesn't uh, reward those that want to take on more responsibility and and um, and do what they're doing uh, to better finance um, their school system. So, in my mind, crazy, right? So... We find ourselves now, so they file this. Louisiana Tax Commission is meeting today. How they end up dispensing with this, I don't know. It's an incomplete tax roll. Um, that's not what they typically face. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I was in uh, Title 47 trying to figure out what, what actually happens uh, in this happenstance. I guess it's kind of silent. Um, there, there are some penalties of five dollars a day to the assessor i mean that's a minuscule amount of money uh, you know for the filing of this all the other assessors seem to be able to get together with the collectors and the revenue departments and get all of this data back and forth to one another all working towards the common good of being able to finance city government parish government for the citizens that are paying taxes 
right? That should be the goal. And it is the goal. And it is the vision and the mission of parishes across the state, again, save one. Doesn't work that way. In fact, they don't communicate very well with one another. They can't even figure out whether or not that they want items placed on an agenda or otherwise. And it continues to be a problem. In fact, the vast majority of appeals on property taxes in this state come from the city of New Orleans. Almost, I think it's over 90%. Think about that for a moment. What is it about this place that it's so difficult to get this done? It's not rocket science. Everybody else seems to be able to do it. Why here can we not get it done? Why do we think that we are allowed to walk to the beat of a different drum? Just another example of this culture of noncompliance. We know what the rules are. We know what the laws are. We just have this level of arrogance, I guess, that they don't apply to us. We do it when we want, why we want, and how we want. But ultimately, who suffers? The taxpayers. They suffer. Because what they're proposing to do now is because the inability of the school board and the levy district to get their it together, there's a possibility that they're going to send out two property tax bills. Because they have to advertise meetings, if they decide that they're going to roll their millage forward, in this state, what happens is this was reass- these properties were reassessed by the assessor this past year. Property values went up under the law. The millage rates automatically roll back so that you don't collect any more money this year than you did in the previous year. Taxing jurisdictions have the ability to roll their millage forward. So rolling it forward to what the millage rate was in the previous year, which then yields more money. And that's where we find ourselves. They hadn't been able to figure this out. It's, it's, it's politically dicey. All the other tax and jurisdictions under the auspices of the council accepted the rollback, and they were not, not going to roll forward on any of those millages save these two so now you're going to get the pleasure because i know this is a pleasurable moment in time of this year and and an additional day where you get to receive a tax bill typically you get one looks like we may be headed down a path where you're going to get two and i know that these are going to be two special days in your life if you're anything like me, I don't like the first one that I get. And I'm sure I would like the second one even less. Because I'm sure that I would feel like I'm done with this already. Then you have the possibilities of mistakes being made because then you're dealing with mortgage companies that typically have everything set up at a certain period in time in the year where they're paying all of these out of these escrows and they're not really set up but dual payments, dual bills, this, that, and everything else. But that's okay because if it works for us, we don't really care what the downstream implications are. We don't care about the taxpayers. We don't care about this. We 
just love bathing in the largesse of our ineptitude as we deal with this issue. And it's not really evidence-based to say that there are 63 other parishes that don't have a problem with this and are able to be able to seem, seem to accomplish it every year. These are the kind of things that really, I think, rock the confidence level of the taxpaying public as to whether or not we can really turn this it around. These are simple things. Most of these are ministerial. There's, there's not discretion. It's set out in law. There's time periods. You know what you have to do. You know how the, the valuation takes place. All of these things are prescribed by revised statutes for the most part. It's a very ministerial in nature. And it's just mystifying that we cannot get it right. So, again, if you want to talk about what's important when you walk into a voting booth at the next city elections, when all of these elected officials come up for re-election, ask these questions and demand answers as to why we cannot get this done and why everybody else can. And again, you're the one that's going to suffer. You know, the city has, and, and they devised a way, and they've had a problem already. I mean, you know, we've got vendor after vendor after vendor who's complaining about not getting paid for work done for the city. Some say it's not a function of money. It's a function of ineptitude. You know, an, another case of an operational issue that's not rocket science. You set up the systems. Hopefully people show up for work. We don't really know because the timesheet thing, that's not working well either. Uh, but if you ran it like a business and you owned a business, you knew who was at work, when, why, how, how many hours they spent there, whether or not they were eligible for overtime, how much vacation time they, they had or otherwise, and the fact that they were actually there at work. Well, not here. So we don't even know as we divide up duties within any particular organization whether or not that's even making any sense because we're not sure whether or not they're at work or otherwise. Again, Another thing that rocks the confidence as to whether or not we're going to be able to turn this around and move out of this third world country mentality into modern America. Because it doesn't seem like we're there. You know, the most disheartening thing, too, about this school board situation is that they're really not totally engaged in operations of schools. The schools are charter schools, and they don't have the level of authority and intrusion that they once had, which highlights this and makes this situation even worse. They have fewer things to have to worry about, and they still can't get it right. And other school boards in other areas of the state have a lot more to do than this school board has to do.
one has to ask why. That's the what. Why? Why do we have this outcome? I don't know about you, it'll continue to mystify me, but it rocks the confidence level that I have that any of this is going to change. And if you cannot get your funding down pat, and you know it's going to hurt working capital for the city because they're used to collecting these taxes in the month of January. Now they're given to the end of February. And again, what is this going to? What's going to happen? A Rob Peter to pay Paul? We're not pay other vendors because we need we need money to pay uh, to handle our payroll and and everything that we have to pay for internally, and everybody else suffers. So what? They go out to public bid, and guess what? Less vendors bid. We saw what happened just recently with the French Quarter. You cannot create an emergency and then declare an emergency by inaction. It's going to be interesting to see how that gets resolved. I called out the other day for anyone with the authority to look at this because I, I don't think it's legal. But yet again, another example, every other parish seems to be able to get it done. Why not this one? Why is it such a problem? You don't read these stories about other parishes unnecessarily declaring an emergency when they know that the vendor is not going to exercise the option. They get about doing the, the people's business. The problem here is there's no exigency. And I'm beginning to think in a big way there's just not a lot of people that care. Give us a shout, 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line. would love to hear from you on this issue. Looking forward to two property tax bills? Well, you may get what you asked for. That may be coming your way. We'll be right back. Stay with us. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Folks, you'll recall there's a lot of discussion going on about what to do with the Plaza Tower as it presents in a blighted fashion. And here to talk to us about it is Thomas Mulligan, Deputy Chief Administrative Officer, Business and External Services for the City of New Orleans. Thomas, welcome to the show. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we seem to have a huge conflict that's developing between the property owner and obviously the city. He claims that he has a purchaser with backup offers and a desire to redevelop the property. Doesn't seem to be much movement since that was first revealed, what, three, four months ago. And we find ourselves sitting here in the same position wondering what are our next steps, I guess, as it relates to blight remediation. Sure. Well, um, there have been over the years, the building's been vacant since uh, well over two decades now, and there have been many efforts by many developers to renovate the building, many claims of impending sales by many developments and uh, by many developers, and they've, they've all fallen through for one reason or another. And, uh, you know, as part of it's a prominent uh, instance of blight in our city. So as part of this administration's comprehensive efforts to tackle blight, Uh, We wanted to make sure that this was part of it. Our preference is to find a way to return this building to commerce, to work with the owner, to provide any support we can within the law to get it renovated. But we also have to be ready to take drastic action, demolition, when that building poses an imminent danger to the public. And it already does pose a public danger, uh, as evidenced from recent events there. Uh, Thomas, I think you and I talked about this before, and there was, uh, I think you guys were contemplating an independent evaluation as to the structural integrity of the facade of the building as well as the, the building itself. Has that occurred, or is that something that y'all are still looking to do? Well, we, we have obtained some engineering reports on the building, so we have a better sense of the building's condition than we did, say, six months ago. But that's really part of this new request for proposals, which uh, we have put out, the first phase of which is that comprehensive evaluation. So, you know, for example, it's known that there was a lot of asbestos in that building. Some of it at least has been remediated, but it's not entirely clear whether it's all been remediated. You can imagine the demolition of a big building like this, if it's contaminated with asbestos, that's a big public health risk. And so the first phase of this uh, request for proposals, this RFP that's gone out, is exactly the kind of comprehensive evaluation that um, that we need and um, maybe never has been done. And uh, is the landowner um, okay with doing that and, and compliant with that being done? Well, I don't want to talk in too much details uh, about our conversations with the owner. We have met regularly on this building and others, which which he owns uh, and which we're concerned about. We do work hand-in-hand on several priority developments. Um, so I'll just say we've made clear that our preference is to return this to commerce. We want to provide uh, any support we can but if the building continues degrading, we're not going to have a choice but to take um, emergency action against it. Uh, there was falling debris, which injured a bicyclist. There was a fire there, uh, which thankfully the, the uh, fire department put out quite quickly. And uh, a man who entered, albeit without authorization, uh, fell to his death earlier this year. So I do think we're reaching a point with this building where the public danger is more acute. Are y'all in a position as you go through this process with the landowner saying that he has a potential buyer and there's there's a, an offer and I guess they're working through this in order to determine the viability of all of this? I mean, it's, it's kind of like how, how long do you wait? You mentioned that this has been going on for decades with a potential buyer, 
it falls through, another buyer, it falls through. How many more buyers? Well, that's that's really the question, is how long do we keep trying uh, to put something together, put a development together when so many developers now now we have a, a sophisticated well-funded developer they haven't always been that way but it's certainly the case now many have tried and they haven't been able to do it we're not giving up on that not by any means but really the answer to your question is when the public emergency is so great and that's defined in our municipal law uh, that emergency abatement demolition is warranted that's when we can't wait any longer uh, but until we hit that point as i say the administration's committed to doing everything we can to try to bring this thing back to commerce, no, no matter how difficult that may be. And so there's really two parallel paths, right, uh, trying to do that, but at the same time to document the actual status of the structure. That's exactly right, because something like this, it, when, let's say, a small single-family home um, there's a fire, let's say, it becomes an imminent danger. We have a contractor on staff that can move against it very quickly, within a week. So we can abate that imminent danger right away. Just given the scope of this building, its size, some of the complexities, there is going to be a long lead time to demolition. And we need to get that process started now so that when it hits that emergency condition, if it hits that emergency condition, we're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, that that, that obviously uh, makes uh, perfect sense. Has there been any overtures by the landowner as to how close they are in consummating a deal? There have been some claims about uh, imminent deals. It's not done until it's done, uh, especially with these large multi-million, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, in this case, probably developments. Um so you really don't know until that paperwork is signed, and then not even then in some cases. Uh, but we have an excellent economic development team here with the city, which is in close contact with, with the owner, his representatives, his lawyers, his development folk. We do have resources we can provide, help with things like permitting, um, trying to get uh, them connected with potential public funds that could be used, federal funds, let's say. And so we're having those conversations all the time. Uh, you know, we've we've complimented them. We've been doing that for a long time. Recently, we've been taking more aggressive enforcement action, so levying pretty heavy fines against the building because we have judged that the owner isn't doing everything that's appropriate uh, to keep the public safe. That's one of the reasons we sought and obtained uh, $220,000 in fines uh, a few months ago. Um, we're visiting with Thomas Mulligan, Deputy Chief Administrative Officer of Business and External Services of the City of New Orleans. Thomas, uh, it was almost as if when you when y'all uh, identified, I think it was it was a ten or twenty properties that you know the on on kind of the hit list, uh, for lack of a better 12, term, yeah. uh, uh, twelve of blighted uh, locations. I don't know about you, but I, a lot of folks that I talked to, it was almost like a collective sigh of relief. You know, that things were coming together and trying to figure out what we're going to do with with these, because, you know, when you talk yep. to folks and I'm sure you've heard this, they feel like, you know, these properties kind of bring every the psyche of the city down. Right. Because a, a number of them were yes. iconic in their history, uh, but they're not anymore. And uh, yep. and it's like a complete 180 from how they felt about those structures at one point to how they feel about them today. 
No, it's absolutely right. It's one of those things that seems it seems like everybody can agree on it. Uh, blight is a big problem. It affects the way we feel about our city and our community. If you live nearby, it can have really direct and negative ramifications for you as a business owner, as a homeowner. And, um, you know, we've uh, this administration has increased the metrics when it comes to homes demolished, blighted homes demolished, overgrown grass, grass cut. We've had a big $10 million blight abatement project, which is well underway. Uh, and so uh, we wanted also to tackle not just those are important, those small cases of blight, that little blighted home, but also uh, the really longstanding problematic structures. And part of it is having a conversation about it. What do we want to do as a city, as a community, with a building like Plaza Tower? Um, you know, in, we have all sorts of owners. The current owner, I think, wants to do the right thing. As I say, he's sophisticated. He has resources. The question is, can we do something as a community with these big lighted structures? And if we can't, is the time right to take them down? And so, you know, part of these efforts, part of that announcement of the, the so-called Dirty Dozen is to stoke the public conversation about what we want to do with them in our city. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and a lot of times what's missed in the conversation is tax base impairment, right? I mean, uh, where we find these properties and the condition where we find them today, obviously, is, let me just state the obvious, is not the highest and best use of that property. Uh, but it's it's interesting that a lot of times we don't really pause and quantify what tax base impairment is if we were able to put it back into the stream of commerce and how important that is for us to grow the tax base in the city of New Orleans. That's true, and it, it's a disincentive to development nearby. So if you have, are yeah. thinking about opening a small business, let's say, or even a large business, and you have a, a hulking, blighted structure, which – there's been public safety issues at before is really an eyesore. That's a disincentive for you to start revitalizing, uh, to moving in and, and doing commerce, starting to revitalize an area. So it uh, has one of the reasons we care about blight so much as a community is that it's not just bad for the building itself, but it's bad for people around it. Uh, it has that those spillover effects. And so it's certainly something that um, that we consider when we're thinking about the effects of blighted large scale buildings. Final thoughts? Well, I guess I would just reiterate that um, we want to work as much as we can on returning this building to commerce. We are prepared to offer any support we can under the law to do that. But at the same time, we have both the right under the law and the obligation under the law to take emergency action, including demolition, when a building poses an imminent danger to life, health, property, or public safety, and we're not going to hesitate to do that. Uh, love the plan. Love the dirty dozen. Um, love the approach that y'all are taking at this point in time, and it's it, it's nice to see that there's a coordinated effort uh, in, in addressing this. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time and your insight, and uh, we wish you a, a happy holiday season. Yeah, happy holidays. Thank you. All right, it's Thomas Mulligan, Deputy Chief Administrative Officer, Business and External Services for the City of New Orleans. One of his duties is uh, blight remediation. We'll be right back, folks. 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We are back, folks. Let's go to the talk lines. We have Paul. Paul, you're up. Welcome to the show. No, just wondering, you know, the part of the embarkation at the end of the, uh, on Poland Avenue? Yes. Uh, you know who was given that to the uh, Landry administration? I have no idea. Uh, same guy that owns that property you've been talking about, right? And I want to know about the city with the House of Detention and the PCC, which they haven't done anything with 15 years. So you're going to go root out, you know, condemned properties. Maybe you ought to look at the ones that the city owns. Well, I mean, that's been actually part of the issue. I've had a number of shows on that. It's hard to be the regulatory body and enforcement of the code if your own buildings are not up to code. Um, you know, you do as I do, not as I say, right? I mean, you know, in, in fact, it's funny that you say that, Paul, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but when I became sheriff, uh, actually before I was sheriff, I, you know, uh, I had a conversation with then Sheriff Harry Lee, and I said, look, we we were getting involved with code enforcement, driving them around because they, they were being challenged and they were getting into fights and stuff. People were stealing cable and stealing water and things of that nature and i said look i it's great that we're going to do this uh it's a it's a great public service to do so but if we're going to do it we have to get serious about ourselves first so we conducted an audit and we audited all of our properties to make sure that we brought every uh you know property up to code because the one thing that i feared was um a, a well-intentioned citizen pointing out, well, you know, Sheriff, we appreciate what you're doing, but how about this property? You know, you're required to have a fence around that dumpster. Why don't you have that? Yeah, you know, didn't want to be hit with that and wanted to be able to say, well, I do. And and we had that situation in some cases, and we went about remedying it, you know, that it's hard to hold people to a standard that you don't hold yourself to. I don't... Again, it myst- it mystifies me why nobody views it that way. Uh, you can't be serious about Im- imposing uh, the code on others if you violating it uh, and you're violating it every day, right? Well, I agree with you 100 percent. But the, at the end, when they transferred that property at the part of invocation to the city, it was usable property. Then all of a sudden, you know, they 
stole everything out of it and you know anything it was worth it then it became you know i mean if i don't know if you remember but i mean they had to go yeah. get a big task force to move everybody out of the place you know so yep. you know that's city property you anyway, know, and, and, and this is the thing you know it wasn't initially it was given to the city and i've said this as well you've got to be in a position to receive don't take things from people if you're not going to be able to use them in a manner that makes sense. If you don't have the money to develop that or otherwise, then don't take it. You know, and, and let somebody else have it that can actually do something with it. Because if you don't have the ability to receive in order to, to have it achieve its highest and best use, you're, you're not putting it back into the stream of commerce. You're not developing and, and increasing uh, tax base. It's there. There's no good reason to take it. But you know, folks are like, wow, well, it's it's free. Yeah, well, great, it's free. Yeah. Look, look what free has done for us. It's been a thorn in that neighborhood side, and it's been a thorn in the city side since the day they took it. Doesn't make much sense. You make my point. Thank you. All righty. Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate it. 504-260-1870. Just want to remind everyone again, Friday, three hours of Santa from 10 to 1. Santa's going to join us. We want to hear from your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, friends, or otherwise about um, giving them an opportunity to talk to Santa. A lot of people have texted in and said it's their favorite show of the year. It's one of my favorite shows of the year as well. Look forward to it every year. So don't forget to... Uh, um, turn on the radio and uh, or go to odyssey.com. You can listen to it over the Internet. We are going to have Santa join us on Friday. We'll be right back after the break, folks. 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line. This is Newell. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. A big shout-out to Gail Benson, the New Orleans Saints, and the Pelicans. You'll recall that... Um, <clears throat> About a month ago, I had the uh, the president of the Good Shepherd School, and we were talking about a fundraiser that they were having. Uh, they had a desire to open a new school in Desire, um, and the Good Shepherd School is a school that's free to the students uh, that attend, those that are less fortunate than us. And uh, due to the generosity of Gail Benson, the Pelicans, and the Saints, uh, they have donated enough money uh, to cover the creation of that school in the Desire area. So congratulations uh, to Good Shepherd School and a big shout-out to um, <clears throat> Gail Benson. And the new campus will be called the Gail and Tom Benson Good Shepherd School Giving Hope camp Campus. And it is located in the Desire, Florida area across the street from the Giving Hope Community Center, and they hope to be finished by the 2020, 2024 and 2025 school season. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 